Uh, it's uh, always a blessing to be here. As you heard, Pastor Steve is um, just having some time uh, of rest and seeking the Lord. And we look forward to him being back. And so I'm the you know, inadequate substitute for today. And, um, but I want to uh, talk this morning today about just maybe speak to some of you who may be going through perhaps a time of confusion, uh, a time of discouragement, a time when you do not know sort of what's, what is God doing in my life right now. And you're kind of looking at your circumstances and wondering, um, what is God up to? And so I want to speak um, to that this morning from... Um, Genesis chapter, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 48. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures, um, and, and, I, and I pray that I won't lose anybody, but it's one of those things where, you know, to, to really do justice to the topic, there is a few scriptures that, um, a, a, a lot of texts that I'll need to go through. So Genesis chapter 48 if you need a Bible, I think we have them uh, in the back. Please go, uh, just, you can just get up and, and grab one. And before I, I go on to, I want to just say how grateful I am uh, to those of you who are coming here to church. And uh, I know there's a pandemic out there, and you could have just been watching this online. And I appreciate the fact that so many of you came. Um, we have it all socially distanced here, uh, six feet apart between families and people wearing masks. So, but I want to uh, thank God for, for, for you. And, um, and obviously, if you are sick, you're in a high, cat, uh, in a high risk category, uh, definitely watching online is the thing to do. And it's good to be back here in the Longwood Hall. We were in the Fenway last week. Uh, needed to do three services, so uh, we're we're back here and we we thank the Lord for that. So what you find Genesis um, 48, I'm just I'll just pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for um, for your goodness to us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. Father, I thank you, God, that you're the God who never changes. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're faithful. And we can trust you with our very lives, Lord. In time and in eternity, we can trust you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every one of my brothers and my sisters here, your precious people, and those watching online. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for the adults, for the children. And everyone else, Lord, for visitors, Lord, anyone who's watching and walked in here for the first time, Father, we thank you, God, that we're in your presence. We thank you, God, that you're the God who desires, God, to do good to us and not harm. I pray, Father God, that you will just speak through me, Lord, in human weakness, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father God, that you will just help us, Lord, to hear your voice, Lord. I pray, Father God, that 
your Holy Spirit will minister, Lord, to everyone who's listening now and those who will watch later. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may be familiar with um, a character in the Bible named Joseph. Who was Joseph's father? Some, Jacob. And Jacob was also called? Israel. Israel. Thank you. You guys are definitely awake. So Joseph was a godly child. A great example for all of us from a young age. He was sensitive to the things of God. One of those kids who loved the things of God from the time he's little and is spiritually sensitive and discerning from a young age. And he's loyal to his father as a teenager, a model teenager who loved God, feared God, loyal to his dad. Wanted to have nothing to do with some of the ungodly ways of his 11 brothers, the, the 10 older brothers. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. So he served God, and God gave him visions of what would happen in the future. He had a spiritual gift, the ability to see what was ahead. But Joseph's life is also marked by a lot of tragedies. First of all, his mother dies when he's young. Then his brothers, out of jealousy, grab him one day while they're out in the field and they sell him as a slave. They hand him over, they hand him over to some slave traders who take him down to Egypt and they make up a story and tell their dad Joseph's been torn apart by a wild animal, he's dead, he's been eaten by wild animals, and their father believes that and they keep the secret. And in Egypt where he goes, Joseph is, as a slave, uh, he's working in, a, in, a, in an estate. He's falsely accused of an attempted rape, falsely accused of an assault. And He's thrown in jail for 13 years. 13 years. In jail, he's there. Um, after some time, God intervenes, gets Joseph out of jail, get him overnight. He's not only out of jail, but he becomes the de facto ruler of Egypt. So it's like the, the first sort of prime minister, most likely in the, whole, in the history of the world, is Joseph. Whether it's the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, but effectively Joseph is the one ruling the country for him. Not only does he get a job, he gets married. And then he has a child, and that child's name is Manasseh, which means forget. And he, 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 made, he called that child, he gave that child the name Manasseh because he said this child sort of marked the end of my years of sorrow. He, he made me forget all of these years of trouble and pain and injustice that he suffered. And it was a new beginning, and Manasseh marked a new phase of life. Or maybe some of you have had children, maybe I've had that experience. And so Joseph becomes 
very vested emotionally in this child. This child is his special kid. It's the child that marks the end of his bad, long season, the beginning of something new for him. So he's very attached to Manasseh. He's precious to him. He has a lot of himself, a lot of his identity, and a lot of you know, his hopes for the future invested in this child. Now, he then has another child whose name is Ephraim. Wow, someone said it in, in, with a Hebrew pronunciation. They are very good. It is Ephraim in, in Hebrew. Uh, and he, so his, names, his name is Ephraim. And Joseph has these, so he has these two sons. And not only does God bless him like that, but after some years, by a set of circumstances, Joseph actually reconnects with his father. So he's reconnected with his dad. In fact, his dad and all his brothers and the whole big clan of them, they all moved to Egypt under the hospice of Joseph. They're well treated because Joseph is the big guy in Egypt, so his family is treated well. So they all settle there. And the time comes when his father Jacob is about to die. And that's where I, wanna be, I want us to begin to read here. His father is about to die. And so Joseph hears that. This is Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Sometimes late, sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he, took two of his, so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up. Keep that in mind. See, it says, when Jacob was told, your son Joseph is, 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 is coming to see you, now there is, the name Israel is used for the rest of this story. The rest of this chapter 48 calls him Israel, not Jacob. So, so he rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. I'm going to skip over to verse 8. When Israel saw the two sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the, son God, the sons God has given me, Joseph said to his father. So then, verse 12, Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground, sign of respect to his father. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh to his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him, but Israel reached out his right hand, put it over Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand over Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Verse, going down to verse 17. When Joseph saw, I think we may have that verse 17 up uh, on the screen. When Joseph saw that his father, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. Wow. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused, wow, and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people. He too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So please look here for a second. So Joseph knows that his father is about to die. And he has these two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he brings them to his dad to bless them. And that's a big deal because the father Jacob is not just anybody. He's someone whom God called Israel, the prince of God or one who struggles with God. And there is a blessing that this father is going to pronounce over these children. And in the Bible... The right hand is the sign of strength and power. And so Joseph brings these two children. He, he arranges and positions them so that when his father blesses them, stretches out his hands and blesses them, the right hand of Israel will land upon Manasseh, the oldest child. So he will get the greater blessing. And then the left hand will go over Ephraim, the younger one, so he will get the lesser blessing. So Joseph carefully thinks this through and he positions these children. And his father, Jacob, is blind. It says there, he can't see because he's too old. He's like 147 or something like that at this point. And however, in what appears to be odd behavior, Jacob, Israel, crosses his arms. And he puts his right hand over Ephraim and his left hand over Manasseh. And just in case this, uh, this appeared to be a mistake, it was not. He then um, uh, he pronounces a blessing over them, putting Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now Joseph is looking at this, he's like, wait, 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 this, is, this is, looks wrong. So he grabs his father's hand. It says that he was displeased. This is the only time Joseph got mad at his dad. This was a good kid, a good kid until that, that day. He said, no, my dad, you're making a mistake. He said, you're blessing the wrong kid. No, 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 bless this one. And he intervenes, grabs his father by the hand. Now, to you, that may not be a big deal. That may not be a big deal. But in Eastern culture, in non-Western culture, you don't grab your dad's hand like that. You do not. And some of you here know that. He grabs his father's hand and tries to move it. And Jacob is old, but he's like, no, I'm not moving it. Tells his son, no, I know what I'm doing. I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. You may not understand what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing. I have nothing wrong against Manasseh, but he's not the one who's going to get a greater blessing. It's not the one that I'm going to elevate. 
and he elevates Ephraim instead, makes him greater than his brother. And then he tells Joseph, God's going to take you into a new land, and here is a part of land that's going to be yours when you go there, because I'm making you head over your brothers. So the question is, why will God put all this text in the Bible for us? What does this mean? What does this have to do with you and with me? And I believe this. God does not waste words. Never, ever, ever. When he speaks, it's because he's got something to say to us. There is a lesson here for us. And so I'm just going to go through it. So here, here it is. All of us, you and I, we have ideas. We've got projects. we got hopes and aspirations. Things we want. Things we dream of. Things we desire. And we bring all of these things to God. And we tell him, God, bless this. This is my plan. This is, my, this is what I want. Could you please bless this? We bring all of these things that we have engendered, that we've become emotionally vested in, that we're interested in, that we intensely desire. We bring them to God. And we say, God, I, I, this is what I want. The only thing I'm missing is a God who will make, me, I, I make it happen. So please bless this. And often what happens is this. We go to God, God crosses his arms. That's the title of my message, when God crosses his arms. God crosses his arms, and he begins to bless the thing you don't care about. And he doesn't bless the thing you really want. And so you get confused. You say, no, you, God, you're making a mistake. Like Joseph is there saying, Father, I, I, I've never asked you much in my life. All I, this is my first time. I'm just asking you to bless the, the child that helped me forget my bad season. Why won't you just do it? Won't you just do it? His father says, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm going to. That's not you. That's your understanding. I'm, I'm looking at things in a different way. So he does not bless what Joseph, so Joseph goes, the Bible says here, Joseph was displeased. You know when you and I often get displeased with God? When he does not do what we want. When he does not bless the things we've gotten ourselves vested in. The things that we become attached to, the things we want. And we get displeased. And I said here that Joseph grabbed his dad's hand and tried to move it. You know what that picture is? That's a picture of a lot of our prayer lives. We often arm wrestling with God. We want God to move and bless this thing over here. And here's the thing about arm wrestling with God. You will never win. You're, never, you're not going to win. He's not going to change what he's doing. And sometimes we think if we just plead enough, try hard enough, he will eventually move his hand and, and, and do what we want. And it does not work out like that. 
And here's what Jacob told, Israel told his, his son, Joseph, when he tried to intervene. He said, no, Joseph, I know. I know. I know. God knows what he's doing. When you and I go to him, and you don't see God doing the things you want, answering things the way you want, God knows. And you see, someone may say, well, don't you teach and didn't you tell us, you know, a year ago I, I, I was here uh, at the end of last year, I was talking about praying and, and we would, uh, from the book of Daniel. And I said, you know, God will, God will answer, God will move in answer to our prayers. Say, doesn't God move in answer to our prayer? Doesn't he, isn't prayer all about we ask and God gives? Well, yeah, sort of. You see, Daniel was praying for something God had promised, that he will restore Jerusalem after 70 years. So this was not some kind of random dream Daniel came up with. It was something the Lord had said he would do, and he was joining God in praying so that God's will will come to pass. And this is the confidence the Bible says that we have in prayer, is that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. Not according to my wishes and fancy desire. You see, that, that's where we get into trouble. You see, the more... Earlier on in my, in, in my Christian life, yeah, I would pray, God, do this, do that, move, and, and you know, and it, oh, th that's fine. Children should go to their father and ask what's in their heart and talk to them about it. But as time has gone on, I've learned to trust God's judgment on things. More and more I find myself asking the Lord, what do you want here? What's your will? How do I walk in this situation? Earlier on, I'd have my plan. I'd just go to God for some execution power, which I know he has plenty of. So I'd go to God with my plan and say, here's what we're going to do. And can you just intervene and make it happen for me, please? Over time, I've learned, no, that, 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 that's, very, that's immature. Go to God and you ask. Father, what's good for me? What do you want? And so, the Lord knows what he's doing with us. And here's what happened. At the end of his life, Joseph, the time came for Joseph to die. This is in Genesis chapter 50. Verse 24, then Joseph said to his brother, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones from this place. Okay. Weird request. Joseph, he's now old. Um, he's 110. And here is Joseph. And isn't that an encouragement for us? Joseph, 
the man of vision, and he has one last vision. His last vision, the greatest he ever had. That one day, God's going to come to your rescue, will take you up out of Egypt, and he will bring you all into a brand new land that he has promised. And you must carry my bones from here and take them with you. You know what Joseph was saying? Was saying God has an inheritance and a promise for us as a people. Even though I won't be there physically, I won't be alive, I want at least my bones to take part in it. I want to partake in what God has planned for us. And isn't that, isn't, which tells you Joseph, when he died, he was still spiritually sound. He's still desiring to enter into the things of God. He's still seeing, he's still, his spiritual vision has not dimmed. He's still hungering for God, hungering for the things of God. He's saying here, he was a high official in Egypt. He was probably buried in style, in a grand kind of pyramid probably. And he said, no, I don't want that. I, 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 when God takes you out of here, I want the promised land. I want to get there. Now what does this have to do with God crossing his arms? What happened to those two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim? What happened to the tribe of, of Manasseh? Who knows? When time came for them to go and enter the land that God had given to them, what did the people of Manasseh do? They never entered that land. They didn't. They didn't fully enter it. When they arrived in the land, there's a river, and on the west is the land that God gave to them. The people of Manasseh stayed in the east side of it. You know why? Because they found pasture for their cattle. So they told Moses, you know what? We thank God for the land he promised, but we're going to stay over here. And God allowed them to do that. But which... But the child who made it all the way in was Ephraim. So Joseph's last desire, take me out of here. I want, to become, I want to take a part in what God wants to do. Who got him there? Which child got him there? Was Ephraim. He was buried in the, ter in the territory of Ephraim. That was the child that took him there. You can read that. In Numbers chapter 32 and Joshua chapter 20, 22, I believe. The child that got Joseph in the promised land was Ephraim. So when Jacob, his father, was blessing Ephraim, he was saying, listen, I know this is the one who will go further. This is the one who's going to need more strength. God has a plan for you, Joseph, and this is the kid that will take you there. He needs greater blessing. He needs more strength. Manasseh represents the Christian who has a divided heart. Never fully enters into the things of God. Can you imagine God promises you a land and you choose not to enter it because you found a place that's better for your cow or your sheep? Can you believe that? And so here it is. When we go to God... And you say, God, 
This is the job I want. This is the thing I want. And God says, no, that's not good for you. That's not going to take you to a good place. You are interested in someone. You, want to, you, 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 you like someone. You're, you're a guy. You like a girl. She doesn't like you. <laughs> that happens. And you say, God, why? Why does why, that happen? God says, yeah, that, they, no, that's, that's, not, that's not a person who's going to help you get to the place that you need to get spiritually. You're a girl. You like a guy. <laughs> and God says, no, that's not a man who's going to take you to a good place spiritually. It's going to be disastrous for you. Don't do it. You say, well, God, haven't you seen how cute she is, how cute he is? God says, yeah, I gave him that face, but that's still not for you. It's not for you. It's not going to take you to a good place spiritually. God knows what he's doing with our lives, folks. God knows what he's doing with me. God knows what he's doing with you. You desire a job. And God says, no, that job is going to be too, it'll take you, it'll take you away. You're going to work too much there. It'll take you away from God, take you away from, you say, but God, that's the one that's going to pay me more money. God says, yeah, let the money go. I got greater purposes for you. You want to do a ministry. God blocks you. God says, no, don't. No, that's not for you. God's crossing his hand and saying, no, I know what I'm doing with you. I know what I'm doing with you. Look at the person who's sitting six feet away from you or right next to you. Tell them, hey, God knows what he's doing with your life. Okay. Tell them, point to them, okay, God knows what he's doing. Yeah, down on your left here. Tell them God knows what he's doing with you. He knows. Maybe some of us need to have this written somewhere in our house. God knows. He knows what he's doing. You and I have short vision. The wisdom of God is eternal. He sees a hundred miles down the road. And he knows where he's taking our lives to. Whenever you... Whenever you and I don't understand our circumstances, we don't understand what God is doing. Remember that. God knows. Now, you may say, every now and then someone will say, well, well Freddie, well, that sounds good, but what about when somebody dies? How could that be for God's, how could that be for, for, for God's glory? How could that serve any kind of purposes? How, how, did, how, does, that, how does that work? And my answer to that, it's one of those questions that come up. So, so and so was a good kid, was a nice person, and he died, got cancer, or something, or was, in a, was in a car accident. Maybe some of you have been in this situation like that. You had a loved one, or a friend, or somebody you knew. A good person, by all standards, but... Something happened to them. How, how could that be? How could that be from, from God? How, how does that help God's cause? 
How does that help them? And the answer is I don't know. I don't know and I don't have to know everything for why God does what he does. And somehow, sometimes I, I, I internally laugh when I hear speakers or ministers try to explain everything that God does. If you can explain everything that God does, he's too small, he's, he's too, he becomes too small. And I don't have to explain everything that God does and why he does it. But I can tell you this. There was a situation like that in the Bible. When a man who was a good man, very great person, by the name of King Hezekiah, did a lot of great reform, brought the people of, of, of Judah and even some of the people of the northern kingdom of Israel back to God. He, he, he did a lot of great reform, reopened the temple of God and, and really got the people to serve God again. Great guy. But one day he gets sick and he's still relatively young. He gets sick. And a prophet, Isaiah the prophet, shows up at his house. Now, if you're sick, a prophet shows up at your house. You say, this is my lucky day. I'm sick and the prophet came to visit me. I'm going to ask him to, to pray. He's going to perform a miracle. I'm going to get healed. God must have heard the prayers. You know what Isaiah tells him? You're going to die. Isaiah tells him, you're going to die. Put your house in order. You're going to die. And you know what Hezekiah does? I mean, I'm going to read this um, for you. Um, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion. And I've done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Was where he's saying, God, but I have walked with you wholeheartedly. And that was true. He was not lying. And he said, so, so what, what is this? And the Bible said he wept bitterly. You know what he was doing there? Let, let me ex explain that. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, one of the blessings was that if you walked with God, you'd have a long life, a long earthly life. That's in the old covenant. It's not true in the new covenant. Jesus didn't live that long. 33 and a half years was gone. But Ezekiah knew that in the new covenant we promise something better. We're given eternal life. Which is much better than long earthly life. But Ezekiah was telling God, God, I have walked righteously with you. This does not make sense in, in light of the promises of your word. And you know what? God told him, you've got a point. So he sent Isaiah back and told him, okay, that's fine. Since, he, he's, he, he, since he's crying like that, okay, I'll give him 15 more years. 
Now, there's a, there's a great lesson there in terms of answer to prayer, and I don't want to take away from that at all. But let me suggest this to you. Do you know that in the life of Hezekiah, if there is any criticism that you can find in his life, you know where you're going to find it? In those 15 years. In that 15 years, weird things happened to him. The Bible says he became proud. This is the worst thing that can happen to you, by the way. It says his heart was lifted up. When did that happen? In that 15 years. He started to show off his wealth to people. You know when that happened? In that 15 years. You know, and then he says, he lost his, he lost his, his vision for the next generation. Someone came and told him one day, your grandchildren, your descendants will be taken captive to a foreign land. And you know what Ezekiah said? Well, that sounds good. That means things will be good in my lifetime. That's their problem. Do you know any grandfather that talks like, if you heard Pastor Steve talk like that about one of his grandkids, what would you think of him? You go lay hands on him, right? And pray. Now that's what happened to Hezekiah. He lost, he became weird. He got to hang out. And there are no major accomplishments for God in those 15 years. Nothing. For a man of God of the stature of Hezekiah, 15 years go by, there's no major encounter with God. There's nothing. He just hung out and became weird. He lived too long. And then, the worst thing that he did, you know what happened after, uh, you know what, what happened during that 15 years? He had a son. He had a son. Guess who the son's name was? Manasseh. Huh. Someone else named their child after a bad season in their lives. Now, maybe I'm stretching, but I don't think that's coincidence. It's just my opinion. Okay? Now, Manasseh, when Hezekiah dies, guess who he appoints as king? Manasseh. The worst king in the history of Judah. Completely wiped out. Let me, let me read this to you. It's, it's pretty, pretty quick. Um, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned over Jerusalem 55 years. A wicked king, living long. His mother's name was Hephzibah. Listen, here, here's a list. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nation, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He erected altars of Baal and made Asherah poles, as Ahab king of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the stereo hosts and worshipped them, meaning the stars and the moon and all that. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. The first time I was reading the Bible, when I was a teenager, I got to this where I couldn't believe this guy did this. I remember the shock of like, where do you get the guts to be that wicked? To bring idols in the temple of God? And of which the Lord said, in Jerusalem I'll put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry host. And here's the thing. He sacrificed his own son in the fire to foreign gods. 
took his son, burned him. Whose grandson was that that he was burning? Hezekiah's. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, consulted medium and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And that's just the beginning. Completely wiped out everything good his father ever done. Now let me ask you a question. This is our next question. I'm going to let you answer it for yourself. If Ezekiah could have seen all of that that had happened to him, the kind of man he would have become in that 15 years, and what the son of his would have done afterwards, when God came and told him, it's your time, I'm taking you home, was that an act of love or was God trying to hurt him? When God was saying, listen, it's time, come home. Was God being mean to him? Or was God saying, Hezekiah, you don't know what's ahead. It's better for you, I take you now. I suggest to you that if Hezekiah could have seen all of this, maybe he would have said, yes, Lord, I'm coming home. Perhaps. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes... There are things that we want to, to succeed in. And God says, you want to do something? God says, no. You're going to succeed too much in that thing. And you don't have the spirituality to handle that kind of success yet. Do you know that success has ruined more people than failure? Sometimes when God allows failure in your life, he's actually being good to you. I know this is not something that gets a lot of amens, but it's true. Sometimes success is hurtful to people. More people have been ruined by success than by failure. I see that happen. I see that happen in immigrant communities all the time. You have a family when they came here, someone, when they came here to the United States from wherever they came from and they didn't have much money, they loved the Lord, they depended on the Lord, they prayed, they were on fire for God, they were serving God, they didn't have much money. Oh, but you will see them 20 years later. Now they have climbed the ladders of, of, of the American dream. They've climbed the ladders of success. They now have a lot of money. They're living in the uh, upper middle class neighborhood uh, in the suburb with a luxury SUV parked in the driveway. And the kids are, all have more stuff than they ever dreamed to have when they were growing up. And it all looks good. But in the majority of cases that I know, most of those people lost God. They backslid. Some of them don't even, they don't even pray and thank God for their meal before they eat. I've seen that happen. They become wealthy and comfortable. The success was not good for them. In that case, it might have been better if they had stayed where they were. Might have been better for them. I've seen that happen to a lot of people. In fact... When I get to meet immigrants, people that just arrived, here's what I tell them. Don't lose God when they're Christians. I tell them, listen, there's a lot of opportunities in this country. You can become whatever you want. 
You set your mind, I'm going to be a millionaire in five years, you can. But don't lose God. The opportunities of life have the tendency to draw people away from the Lord. And not everybody has the maturity to handle that. I've seen that happen to people after they get married. You know, when I I was in school, a friend of mine, she was trying to explain to me things from a girl's perspective, which is having a conversation, like a Christian. And she said to me, Freddie, listen, for a girl, a wedding is a victory. She was emphatic. I didn't ask her who or what gets defeated, but she said it's a victory. And, um, but, you know, what I saw a lot of time growing up, I saw folks, when they were single, they were serving the Lord on fire for God. Soon as they get married, you meet them a year later, spiritually cold, frozen, Something, I don't know, it's been a very bizarre phenomenon. I remember growing up in church, they would tell me, oh, you know, Auntie so-and-so, she, she, was, she used to be on fire for God. And, I, and I'll say, so what happened to her? They say, well, you know, she got married, had kids, and so And I used to think, I was like, that makes no sense. Why would I do that to a person? You see, now, look. If you're waiting, for, you're here, you're waiting for your victory, I, I, I pray you get it, and you get it soon, right? I pray for a decisive victory uh, for you, but don't lose God. Don't let the blessings of this life drive you away from the Lord. Don't let the things, the temporary things of life sort of take you away um, from God. You see, God knows what he's doing with us. He knows what he's doing with our circumstances. We have to trust him. I'm going to end by giving you one more, just one more passage. So Hebrew, and by the way, if you want to read about Hezekiah, that's in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 20 and, 20 and 21 uh, that I was reading for you. So the, the Bible talks about, the, the, there's in Hebrews chapter 11, what's called God's Hall of Fame. Okay? If you want to make a movie on some Bible stories, this is a good place you would brainstorm ideas from. Because here are kind of all the collection of the amazing stuff people did in, in the you know people who fought lions and won wars in, in, in uh, uh, did miracles and all that kind of stuff. They're all those dramatic stories are all kind of gathered up here in Hebrews chapter eleven. But there are some of those things that are mentioned there where you're like, okay, you know, look, Moses parting the Red Sea. All right, I get that. That should be in there, or you know. Oh, Joshua, you know, walking seven times around the walls of Jericho and the, the walls collapse. Okay, I get that. that. That's true. You can make a movie out of that. 
But there, there are some of these things here that made it into this chapter that I sometimes wonder, like, what, 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 what was that about? So this is, this is one of them. This is Hebrews 11, um, verse 21. Um, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Let me read that verse 21 again. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. So this is an old man who is leaning on his staff and worshiping. Okay, I don't see a movie there. I don't, there's nothing extraordinary about that. So why is that in here? What, 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 uh, what do we have that mentioned there? You see, here, here it is. You see, Jacob was a man who, through most of his life, what a hard life. Because he was one who tried hard to get what he wanted. He would struggle with people. He would try to, to and, and most notably, when it was time for his father Isaac to bless him and his brother Esau, Jacob used trickery and cheating to steal the blessing from his brother Esau. That was his life. For most of his life, he struggled and struggled. He tried to get whatever he wanted. He manipulated things. He tried to, 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 to uh, use underhanded method, methods to get what he wanted. Oh, but by the end of his life, he had understood something. All of that striving was unnecessary. He could have just trusted God. And God would have made things happen for him. See, when he needed to have his own father, Jacob's own father, Isaac, bless him. He thought God was not big enough to intervene. He knew he was the one who was supposed to be blessed. But he went and lied to his father, used deceit to get the, the blessing. Now that he was old, he realized, you know what? Just like when I am blind now, but God made me cross my hand and bless the one who really needed the blessing. God could have done that for me. I didn't need to use the seat. I didn't need all that manipulation. He had now learned at the end of his life that all of that carnal striving was unnecessary. And so when he saw how God had moved him, crosses and made him bless these kids according to what was going to happen in the future. He understood there is a God who is working on his behalf and who has control over everything. So he leaned on his staff and he worshiped. And I want to close with that in these last few minutes that we have. When it says, Jacob worshipped. It's not talking about, there was no music there. There was no, it, worship is one of those words, unfortunately, 
that in the modern Christian era has come to mean something that the scriptures don't point to. I don't have time to, to go th through that. See, if you study worship, you find the earliest man, the, the earliest man who's recorded as having worshiped God is Job. Most scholars agree that's the oldest book in the Bible in terms of authorship, and they believe Job lived before Abraham. And when did Job worship? The day he lost everything. When he lost his children, lost his property, lost everything. The Bible says he bowed down and he worshipped. There was no, there, there was no uh, choir. No, see, now we've kind of got these terms, worship. It's when we sing a slow song and praise is when we're singing a fast song. A lot of that came from the music, the Christian music industry. But there was none of that for, 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 for Job. And then the first mention of worship in the Bible is Abraham when he goes and offers his, his son to God. He calls that worship. That's the first mention. These two men, Job and, and Abraham, they weren't having a great time during that time of worship. They were men who were telling God, whatever the circumstances, I trust you. It's an inner posture. Worship is an inner posture. It's why to worship God, you got to trust him. To worship God, you got to surrender to him. He was saying, these were men who were saying, God, I hand it all over to you. You're worthy of it all. Whatever happens, whatever happens, our lives are in your hands. And as Dan and the, the band come up here, please stand. I want to I wanna say this to you. This is something in my heart that I believe the Lord wanted me to specifically say to some of you here today. Please listen. Some of you, you have allowed the devil to steal worship from you. You have not worshipped in a long time. And I want to say this specifically to those who serve. Okay? You're in this church. You help out. You're ministering. You've been faithful. But in your heart, you believe God has failed you. You believe he's let you down. You're disappointed with him. Because he crossed his hand, he didn't bless what you wanted. You don't know what he's doing. And there is a disappointment in your heart towards him. And so the devil stole away worship from you. It's a long time since you've worshipped. And I pray you get that heart back today. Will you say to God, God, whatever happens... Whatever happens, whatever happens, my life is yours. I trust you. And I want to say this, just this one last thing here. You know, please don't take this. Look, don't take this as some romantic words from a preacher. 
Okay, just some platitudes from, from, from a preacher. This is not, okay, Pastor Steve asked me to come and teach on Sunday, and so I went and I read some books, and I, I came up with some. No, 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 listen to me. I'm telling you what God taught me, okay? During seasons of confusion, when I didn't know what God is doing, and all of us have that, this is what God taught me. Listen, my son, when I'm crossing my hands, don't be offended. I'm working for your good. I'm working for your good. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would just make this word become really in the hearts of every person here, Lord. I pray that you will encourage, Lord, the discouraged, the confused, the weary. And I pray that today you'll make us all worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen.